0: Hi, I'm your host, Thomas, data scientist, data engineer, and you're listening to Let's Talk AI. On this podcast, we receive experts to talk about their experience, visions, challenges, with no fear to go into technical details. If you're looking to learn more about AI and related subjects, You're at the right place to make yourself comfortable and enjoy. If you like this episode, please give us a review on your favorite streaming platform, such as Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can also find more content on my LinkedIn newsletter. Welcome, everyone. Welcome in Let's Talk Today, I have the honor to be with Claudia May del Pozo. Uh, Claudia, welcome to the show. And how are you doing?
1: Thank you, Thomas. Thank you so much for inviting me. So happy to be here, very excited uh, to do this podcast with you and to talk a little bit about how we're making things happen and to talk about how we're making things happen here in Latin America.
0: That's awesome. I have so many questions for you as I'm not super familiar um, with uh, what does c minds uh, what you do on a daily basis. Um I've seen a few um, a few interviews from you, uh, I've seen you speak on a TEDx show and uh, I find it super inspiring what you're trying to achieve, your career, but uh, instead of me trying to define you, would you mind uh, describing a bit who you are in a few sentences for the people who are listening?
1: Sure. Do you want to know about like my, my work persona or what? what I
0: feel like an overall of who overall? is Claudia. Yeah. Okay,
1: sure. So, um, I'm Claudia Del Pozo. I'm currently working in tech ethics, which is a fascinating topic, especially from Latin. I'm half Spanish, half Canadian, born in France, raised in Venezuela, and now I've been living for seven years in Mexico. And I've always been fascinated by technology and science, but um, my challenge was how can I do that work in a meaningful way, which is probably the dilemma of all millennials like us trying to find a way to do what we love but make it mean something. So mm. that's me, and um i I love considering myself Mexican now it's an amazing place to be an amazing place to work
0: hmm that's awesome um so now you live in Mexico, right, and uh you work at c mines um uh could you describe a little bit um because you mentioned, uh, as millennials, we 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 try to find purpose in things, uh, which is great, by the way. But um, would you try? Could you share with us and with the audience um, what are you trying to achieve today? Because like it might evolve through years, but at this specific date, what are you trying to achieve? What are your goals, and and what are you focusing on?
1: Yeah, sure. So. I'm going to talk a lot about Sea Mines. Um, I've been working here since before it existed. I entered the company when it was had a different name, a very different branding. Um, we the, the company like the, it's actually a nonprofit, but I'm just going to refer to it as the organization. The organization used technology before, but um, about six or seven years ago, we decided to really focus more on new technologies. I mean, you know, new, relatively new. Um, like artificial intelligence, like blo- blockchain, like the open data standard, also working kind of in, in the that realm. Um, now also talking about metaverse, augmented reality, extended reality. Um, and so Minds is something that I've been with since the beginning, and I've helped Constanza, who's the founder, I've helped her shape Minds and um, bring it to where it is today. So don't be surprised if I refer a lot to Minds when talking about my goals. I think that me and Constanza had a very similar view of um, what we wanted to do with our lives. And that was, first of all, create a work environment that's amazing. um, And that supports women, that helps women create really strong leadership skills, especially in a, I mean, in a sector, but also in a world that is ruled by men, you know, how can we help um, new generations face these challenges with grace and efficiency and become the leaders of tomorrow. And that's something that we're really achieving and we're incredibly proud of because, I mean, whatever woman is listening to this, you know, we know how hard it is to, um, to learn how to deal with different situations that we're faced with in the workplace. Um, and then the other thing that, that I always wanted to achieve was thinking about technology and saying, so, so I interned at IBM. Um, Mm -hmm. during university. And I thought it was fascinating. Like I've always had a very mathematical mind. Mm -hmm. But my point was, what are we doing with this? Why are we not using it for a greater purpose? Surely there's a lot of applications that could be done. So I loved the internship, but I left kind of frustrated because I felt like we weren't achieving our potential and maybe our responsibility as human beings Mm. to help everyone elevate their quality of life. And um, that's what C-Minds is about. So it's really about, you know, in let's say we have three three main goals. One of them mm-hmm. is to um, explore how technology can use, be used for impact. So different use cases, for instance, um, how can we use artificial intelligence to detect uh, diabetes long before a doctor could? That's a huge challenge in Mexico, and that's something we're working on. Second line of work would be regardless of the impact that you're trying to have, how can you make sure that your use of new technologies doesn't harm anyone, doesn't contribute to more gaps in the region and in the world? This is a very global conversation. Um, So we're doing public policy prototypes on on how to use AI responsibly, and I'm happy to uh, deep dive into that later. And then our third um, line of work, which, which we both really have close to our hearts. And, and for me, was an incredible frustration because, so the last place I was before Mexico was the UK and Germany. And, you know, those are countries that are always in the news for their innovations. If something happens, it's in the news. Hmm. And I found out about so many incredible things happening in Latin America. Some things that suddenly were in the news because the UK was doing it, but Ecuador had been doing it seven years earlier. And that was never in the news. And that frustration, that kind of erasure of Latin American progress, voices, perspectives mm. in the international narrative, and that's not just in science, it's in art, it's in everything. That's something for me that's just baffling because there's a lot that can be brought to the world from here, but there's just no space for it, you know? So, also, our work is trying to amplify the voices in Latin America. We're not trying to become the voice. Um, our work is extremely collaborative. We work with all sectors, a lot of countries. It's more about, okay, well, let's find who the experts are and let's, let's make them more visible. So, for instance, in an effort we made to create um, a report on the perspectives of the metaverse from Latin America. Hmm. So that was supposed to be a report. But actually, I think, well, it will be a report. But one of the main things that we didn't see coming is that all the speakers we invited to those talks are now being used to, other organizations are using the website where we have them. It's metaversolat.com, if you want to check it out, to invite these people to more spaces. So that's that's incredible. I mean, if we're able to, to visibilize more experts in the region, then we're super happy with
0: that. Hmm, That's super interesting. And you mentioned a lot of your goals and also a lot of what you've done in the past. Uh, just to... For, for the people who are listening, can you do like um, a short description of um, what led you to work? I think it's more than six years with c And like, can you do a bit of retrospective from like where you finished your studies to working at C-Lab? C-Mind, yeah, sorry. of
1: course. Um, so, yeah, so I studied international business with German. The German really does not come in handy in Latin America, unfortunately. Um, and then I moved to Mexico. So I think what what guides me in my life is trying to be happy. And I'd grown up in Venezuela. I really wanted to come back to Latin America, but a place that was doing much better than Venezuela. So I came to Mexico. And um, my my first job has nothing to do with what I'm doing now. It was more, you know, the job that allowed me to get here. And then I said, okay, once i I really like I achieved the the common goals that my boss and my previous job and me had set, I said okay now I'm ready to really look for something that interests me and I wanted something in social impact. So I I started, you know, looking at different social impact companies in Mexico and what's really hard is that if you don't have previous experience in social impact, you it's very hard to break into this world. Mm-hmm. And that to me was very curious because I you know, all of these companies or rather all of these organizations or charities were complaining about lack of money. And mm. my point was, I studied business, maybe there's something I can help you with if, if we can work on it together and mm. if you give me a chance. But for some reason it doesn't work like that. And I think what happened when I applied to a position here at c mines was just a, a really good connection with the founder um, who was my boss for a long time, an excellent connection in terms of the way we work, um, and, and kind of our vision for things. And that's, that's how it happened. So, you know, a- and then CMI started to become more tech oriented and that's something that I wanted without knowing it was possible. So it mm. just really, I've been quite lucky. I don't want to say there wasn't a lot of hard work behind. There was, but very lucky to have met uh, Constanza and that she, you know, um, decided to collaborate with me on on all of this.
0: Hmm, that is super cool. So we mentioned a lot of C mind, and you mentioned a lot of uh, descriptions uh, of C mind. Um, I really like the approach about uh, about um, giving visibility. Uh, in the first uh, talk that we that we made previously to this recording, uh, we mentioned a lot education how. Projects are evolving uh, related to education and AI and virtual reality. So, I would like to ask you more about this uh, on, on the upcoming questions. And there are so many fascinating so many things fascinated about uh, what you just mentioned that it is um, hard to uh, take a direction. <laughs> but um, I will uh, risk myself uh, at this exercise. And uh, uh, I would like maybe ask you, I would like to ask you about C Minds first. Um, so you kind of described the mission of c mm-hmm. So maybe to understand further the mission of c could you share some examples of projects that you've worked on? Yeah. Or like kind of m- like showcasing the mission, but through some examples of what you've achieved? Because you've also mentioned that c uh, is a team of non-technical people. Like you, you, you bring people from all different kind of expertise, but uh, I will let you uh, answer so that we can understand better uh, uh, in a practical example.
1: Yeah, that's always our challenge, explaining what minds is. We're kind of a, a unique bug in Latin America, but I'll, I'll do my best to give you a good idea. Unfortunately, it's not going to be a straightforward answer like like a lot of other companies have the luck to be able to say, this is what we do. So, Seamines is actually a nonprofit, like I mentioned, it's women-led. It's only, it's almost completely women. Um, and our idea is, so, you know, the, the three kind of lines, like missions that I shared with you. And so, our, we have different lines of work, and in each project, what we're gonna do is kind of build an ecosystem for that project with the appropriate partners. So, for instance, in education, um, we're working a lot with the British embassy. We worked in the past with the Inter-American Development Bank. So that was super interesting because that was right when the pandemic hit and we said, okay, what can we do? Because Mines is, is our, our business model is project by project. We're not consultants um, because our agenda is always going to be, you know, create maximal value for society. So very, you know, that's very broad and we're not going to, um, favor the interests of one company over other. It's all very collaborative for the greater good. And so so the way we do things is we bring a lot of actors together. Um, in education, you know, we're going to say, okay, well, we're very good at bringing people together, getting things done. We have knowledge about ethics. But for instance, if we're going to work in education, we need people who are specialized in pedagogy. We need people who are specialized in education. We need to talk to teachers, etc. And that's not... We don't have that. So we're gonna bring those people together. And so going back to, um, uh, to, the, to the experience with the IDB, the Inter-American Development Bank, we said, okay, so everything's changing. Now is the time to take advantage of the flexibility of sea mines to be able to create any ecosystem related to the, you know, to exploring the impact of new technologies. What can we do right now to help with the challenges that Latin America is going through, yeah. So we said, okay, well, one of the biggest challenges is that schools suddenly need to become cybersecurity experts, and that is not something that's there on their fingertips. That's something that's very complicated, you know. Whereas they used to um, secure data privacy by locking up documents in a in a drawer or in a cabinet. How do you do that online? That's not something that they know. That's not something that they're expected to know. Yeah. Um. And particularly in more marginalized areas, there's even less uh, digital, we we call it digital alphabetization, like digital knowledge, let's say. Um, So working with a whole range of partners, including plenty of experts from the IDB, we created two things. Number one, a guide that was intended for schools across Latin America. It was also translated in Portuguese, so we could be inclusive of, um, of Brazil of, okay, so you need to go online. What do do you need to take care of and how can you start doing that? So it went from very simple things like um, password hygiene to maybe more complicated topics, kind of like do what you can, but this is what you need to do because a lot of them had no idea of the challenges. So if you don't even understand that, how are you going to talk about the solutions? Yeah. And then another thing we realized is, okay, but schools can't be doing this on their own. They need help from governments they need resources, support. So we created a public policy guide for Mm. governments across Latin America focused especially on ministries of education and data authorities, so that they could work together or independently if there was only one of those instances in a country to support schools. So that was a really exciting endeavor where we felt like, wow, our, our business model, which is one of our biggest challenges, but it's also what allows us to exist the way we do um, and respond quickly to needs is really, really made an impact during the pandemic. So that was really gratifying to see that we could contribute in that way. And so now we're also continuing that line of work in education with the British Embassy in Mexico, who've been our partners for years. (laughs) Mm. Um, Just a parenthesis, back in 2019, we created the the Mexican National AI Strategy that placed Mexico among the first 10 countries to have Um, that strategy, and that Mm. was with them as well. So amazing partners. And right now we're working on two projects. One of them has to do with children's digital rights, which is a huge conversation going on in the UK, in the US, in Canada, um, and in the European Union, but not really in Latin America. So we're Mm. promoting it here, trying to get perspectives from the region, what can be done better, what paths could we take based on international... um, use cases etc especially with with uh, the british embassy and that's really exciting to see that those developments that are really top-notch that's exactly what's happening in those countries right now we're doing in mexico Mm. and then we're, we're also exploring the use of augmented reality for education right now it's a research project where we're interviewing a lot of different actors that we had the chance to meet through through previous projects um kind of working with that ecosystem as well so it's 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 really these projects are quite tangible and really exciting to see that um yeah Mexico in through all of this and and other things that we're not leading of course Mexico is contributing to the global conversation Mm -hmm. and maybe you ask why is that important why does that matter um because global conversations on new technologies lead to standards and Not regulations, of course, because you can't do that internationally, but standards, you don't have to abide them, but they're recommended and they kind of become the standard. Um, So if Mexico or Latin America is not in the conversation regarding those standards, how can we make sure that they're made in a way that will positively impact and make sense in the context over here? So, Mm. so that's, there's a lot of reasons to be excited.
0: Wow. Wow. So many things. Um, (laughs) yeah. I would assume that people who are listening right now would like me to ask about a specific thing or another. I will do my best to go in the direction of the majority. But um, you mentioned a lot education. Uh, you mentioned um, AI strategy for Mexico. Uh, you mentioned so many great projects. I would like to go back though on the education part. You mentioned um, children digital rights. Uh, my first question regarding these uh, children' digital rights, um, what do we refer to and uh, what can we uh, expect from those, um, uh, those, good, those good practices, those standards, uh, and uh, like, can you share a bit more in depth of um, of this topic?
1: Yeah, sure. So, one of the main things with children's digital rights is, just like everyone, children have internet at their fingertips so that they can get any information, right? And as adults, we're free to navigate the web, Google what we want, learn what we want. Um, our privacy shouldn't be infringed upon. The challenge with children is that so far, is that the internet is a dangerous place. It's not what we wanted it to be or what we hoped it would be. It's a place where a lot of dark things happen um, and we're going in alone as a kid can lead to a lot of challenges, you know, the least of them being bullying, you know, and that's already quite bad. Um, So how can we help children access this wonderful tool that is the internet in a safe way? So a lot of the tools that have been created are kind of surveilling them and saying, well, what are you typing? What are you looking at? But that's an infringement on their privacy or, or banning certain websites. You know, again, we're not giving them the freedom that an adult has because they're more at risk. So how, what are the best approaches in doing this without putting at risk some of their fundamental freedoms like privacy, security, you know? So that's that's the whole debate. And right now, one of the big topics that's being debated is um, encryption. So for instance, on WhatsApp, conversations are encrypted. So you could never see what anyone's talking about, but that applies to children. So how can you be sure that they're not getting themselves into trouble? So should we be using encryption or not when it comes to children? Well, on the one hand, yes, again, because it's their privacy. So it's all of these questions surrounding privacy and security and how how we can maximize the benefit of the internet for children. So that's yeah. what's happening right now. And honestly, it's it's fascinating.
0: Yeah, it is. It is one of uh, the key goals of Let's Talk AI is uh, um, is equality of opportunities, and it starts with education. Exactly. And so we are very um, aligned and and very supportive. Uh, and uh, this is uh, some those are some topics that we really want to showcase more on the podcast. As AI ha AI, like artificial intelligence have so many good things to to share with this. Uh, Makes me think of different applications. Um, I remember talking with uh, Ricardo, Ricardo Reyes, about uh, different things and like how we can use NLP, natural language processing, to do great things. Uh, what they're doing at Reddit right now for the mental health of employees. Um, those could be a direction to take. So that's fascinating. And My second question would be: Um, now that we understand the digit- what what were. Uh, underlying behind the digital rights of childrens and, and how we can approach uh, and how Siminds uh, work and how you approach project and the unique perspective of Siminds. Um, um, well, you mentioned virtual reality for education. Could you maybe share a bit more in depth with us about what you're referring to?
1: Yeah, sure. So I actually mentioned augmented reality. So the difference mm. for those who are listening who might not know. Augmented reality, think Pokemon Go. Think you have a screen, you're looking at the world around you and there are digital elements that are added. And then virtual reality, think headset. You know, you're completely immersed. And I mean, they're blending and there's some that are one thing or the other or both. Mm -hmm. Um, But the idea is how can this technology be used for education? This technology being augmented reality and not virtual reality for one very simple reason. Virtual reality headsets are not legally sold in Mexico, so mm. you can't legally get your hands on one. So we mm. can't test anything. Um, but augmented reality, it's an interesting way, I think, to showcase um, topics that are seen in school that aren't very, that, that are really not tangible at all. So, I mean, for instance, if, if we're talking math, which is often the first thing that comes to mind when we're talking about something that is very, not tangible, very intangible. Um, Maybe actually geometry is quite tangible, right? So maybe you don't need augmented reality and if you have cubes and different shapes in the classroom that children can touch, then that's enough, you know? But what about fractions? What about multiplications? What about when it gets more complicated? So that's one question and then maybe you say, okay, but how does it differentiate from my video games like when I was growing up? why why is it better to do it in augmented reality rather than on my computer? it's not necessarily better it's just an alternative and when we talk about augmented reality we sometimes we kind of omit to say that it can be powered by artificial intelligence so say you're learning something but this could be done on the computer as well I'm just just a parenthesis it's not just that technology on its own it's a it's a technology where you can visualize things more and be more immersed and then AI can help with with your training and say, oh, I can see that Claudia is having trouble with this topic, let's give her more exercises here. Um, and then augmented reality, for instance, could also be interesting, we believe, to teach about climate change, which is not really, it's, it's, a, it's a few classes, it's not a whole course that's taught um, in the Mexican education system or uh, anywhere I know. Um, but how, what if you could look around you, you know, with your with your cell phone, look through your cell phone and see what's gonna happen to your school in 20 years if everything stays as it is today. Maybe if you're close to the shore, it'll be flooded. And so having that really, I mean, we're not looking to traumatize anyone. I think there's a, that's also why we need to work with psychologists and people who are experts in pedagogy to understand where where that line is and where yeah. it's helpful and where it's not but i think seeing it is something that's quite impactful
0: yeah yeah and i um i always feel uh well first of all i wanted to get back on Hadibu because i played this game uh, and uh, i was always scared of the monster who steals the cakes yeah. so this is a very <laughs> precise detail but um to anyone who is listening I really wanted to add this information, okay? (laughs) (laughs) For all the French people uh, listening. (laughs) (laughs) So check it out. It is a a, a young kid game. Um, Augmented reality, I will say it here also, is something that I really believe um, can enhance a lot of the learning and more above. This is some personal thoughts for myself when I'll be listening to this episode in the future. I really believe that tomorrow through um, um augmented reality we will be like we will have computers and we'll have so many things and like it can reach out video games uh it can reach out presentations it can reach out meetings and like i always think of like um, like this tony stark in iron man when he have like everything well jarvis it's just uh, like a mix of speech recognition and generative AI that have a personality kind of. Um, and uh, I'm totally drifting right now, but... Um, but, um, but that's the future, uh, <laughs> I agree. I think but...
1: that I think maybe hardware will become a thing of the past and kind of with augmented reality, which can merge into holograms. I mean, we're just mm. imagining here, but it would make sense. And of course, yeah. generative AI, we're seeing it already, like. I was going to say, it's going to be a huge part of the future. It's already a huge part of today. And they just launched it really recently. So definitely that's super relevant.
0: Exactly. And I would add that there are a lot of limitations and it's not because a machine is acting like a human, that it is a human and it has a conscience. And <laughs> I want to make it right clear here. Yeah. So uh, the, if those are topics that interest you, like um, we can do more content on let's talk about this and, and explain it more. But uh, it is really exciting. Um, for the reasons that you mentioned, for education, for explaining concepts, because most of the time when we try in education, the problem is that it's like a, it's like a, like because you might be familiar with uh, like machine learning models or everything, and and we, we we teach education when when you give a model bad data and some good data, the model will never learn, and I feel like nowadays when we struggle at school. Um, it's more because we haven't been trained with the right data, or with the right guidance, and I feel like what you mentioned are those technologies can really give access to a good guidance with good standards, and uh, and so I, I really I really uh, admire what you are doing at um, at C-Mines and on these projects, and I feel that um, it is fascinating because. Um, you are not only shaping, and this is a topic I would like to to ask, but not only shaping the the future of education and, and the understanding the the next big steps, but also, but also showcasing Mexico and Latin America. And so, this is my next question. Um, and you mentioned it a bit earlier, but what is the difference in, uh, and and what can we do uh, for? Latin America um, improvements in terms of technologies and and advancements and what you what you are doing with Simains. But yeah, can you can you share a bit more about Latin America and uh, and uh, compared to United States, the differences between what you are trying to achieve?
1: Sure. So I think that Latin America is a a really interesting place where they're they I mean, i keep in mind I'm comparing this to the places that you hear more about which are the U.S., Canada, the European Union, the U.K., maybe some of the most more advanced parts of Asia. So what I'm going to say applies a lot to what people like to refer to as the global south, basically everybody else who's not super advanced in technology. Not a big fan of that term. Mm. Um, and, I mean, we have specific challenges here that have to do with, you know, not having a, a society that's, on the same page as much as like in Europe, which is you know, achieved because it's a very socialist place. Um, yeah. And I know equality isn't achieved, but it's achieved a lot more than here. So when we talk about, when we think about problems in Latin America, what, I mean, there is no such question. For example, in France, you could say, how are people using technology? How are people using their computer, okay? Yeah. And you mm. get a relatively homogeneous answer. But in Latin America, any country, there's going to be, you can't analyze that. You can't just take the average of that and say, this is it. That would make absolutely no sense. That would make any solution you're trying to implement absolutely useless. Mm. You'd have to say, what's happening in this population? What's happening in this population? And of course, you'd have to do that to an extent in France, but the results won't be as, com- as different as you'll find here in Latin America. So when you're thinking about a problem or a solution, you really need to narrow it down to a target audience. And there's been a lot of um, attempts to replicate things that have worked really well, um, I don't know, in, in Northern countries like Sweden, et cetera, who are doing amazing. Um, and they try to tropicalize it here. Hmm. And that just doesn't work because Okay, maybe it would work with you know the the top two percent of the population who are facing that same challenge. But is that really the challenge that's being faced with um, in 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 lower income populations? For instance, there was this um, there was this really famous use case here. I think it, yeah, in Mexico, where they noticed there was a so low income populations weren't don't really use banks very much. So they said we're gonna give them uh, freak bank cards so that they can save and everything. The people never really wanted bank cards. They just used them to go take, take the money from their bank account and continue their life in cash. And so Mm. what population were you thinking of when you thought that this would work? And then Mm. another thing is, I think in a lot of the countries I mentioned previously, their connectivity isn't such a big problem. Maybe Maybe if we're talking about Canada and indigenous communities, then, mm-hmm. you know, the challenges are, are more similar. Um, but but even there, they're quite different. So I know that indigenous communities in Canada have a lot, they, they have access to internet via computers a lot of the time, but they don't have phones. Here in Latin America, um, there's not so many computers. Most people have access internet via their phones. So even if you thought populations were similar, their, actual, their challenges and their realities, their contexts are completely different. So,
2: mm.
1: I mean, and, and, and that's also a problem when it comes to, for instance, AI regulation. So mm-hmm. a lot of the times when we'll be talking about AI regulation with the government or with people, I mean, the, this perspective is shared in a lot of realms. The answer is, why are you talking about AI regulation when some people don't even have access to internet? And I get that, that's super fair. And we have to continue efforts to, to you know, to create more infrastructure, to create more, and, and I mean, maybe some people have access to internet, but it's really bad. So, you know, high, create more, more high-speed connectivity networks. There's a lot to be done with respect to proper access to internet. But my question is always, does that mean that once those people are connected to internet, you don't care yeah. about them anymore? What happened mm. to their safety, you know? Once you connect them, they're open to a completely new world with incredible challenges. Um, and if you're, not, if, if you're not very familiar with the digital world, you could easily fall into traps. And I mean, it's, you know, we know the dangers of the internet. Um, so why are we not putting the same amount of effort into connecting people as we should into keeping them safe? And you know, I think that AI is something that has really permeated our lives now it's, it's there when you're using the internet, it's there when you're watching TV, when you're listening to your music, it's always there. So for me, if you wanna keep people safe in general, then you should regulate AI. And that shouldn't be a consideration for once you got everyone connected, because mm-hmm. first of all, when's that gonna be? And second of all, how many people will have been harmed by the time you get there? So that's the specific context of Latin America. And another Mm. specific context that frustrates the heck out of us is that um, there doesn't seem to be such a linear approach to, or rather, there doesn't seem to be priorities that go beyond each government, you know? So I feel like in Europe, there are some priorities that will continue here in Latin America, depending on the administration in place, certain priorities can be completely erased. So the previous administration was very, was pushing a lot for digitalization and at the same time working a lot on AI. We were, they were amazing partners of ours, Mm
0: -hmm. but then
1: the administration changed. It took them three years to publish the national digital strategy and it barely mentions AI. So, Mm. so what do we do, you know, and In the previous administration, um, we'd created the the Mexican National AI Strategy, like I mentioned. And a lot of people ask us, well, what happened with that? And what happened with that is the government changed, and it's no longer a priority. Something similar happened to Argentina. The government changed, and not only did they just say, just leave it there, they actually said this document is no longer valid. So Argentina Mm. had made a huge step, and then the change in government and the priorities that come with it went away. And we're seeing a lot of rises of populist governments. I think we had the hope in Minds that this government, because it's focused on people's well-being, mm-hmm. um, would be very open to AI because that's what we're trying to do with AI. That's one of the yeah. huge potentials if you do it responsibly, and that's also where we focus, what we focus on. but yeah, if so this doesn't mean Mexico isn't doing anything anymore. I'm happy to talk about some amazing projects that we're doing um, regarding policy prototypes, but You know, Mexico, a few years ago, I mean, four years ago, was the leading country in Latin America for AI. We're not even mentioned in the top countries anymore. Mm
0: -hmm. Other countries
1: are doing amazing things like Colombia, um, working really hard on, they they published um, AI ethics guidelines from the government. Brazil Mm -hmm. um, made their own version of the European Union's General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR. But... But, I mean, how long is it going to last? What happens when the next government comes along? So that's absolutely frustrating.
0: Wow. That gives a lot of insights of uh, the difference between Latin America and, and the rest of the world. Uh, and I'm super happy to to hear and, and to learn more from, from you and, and those challenges. Um, uh, those are awesome. Uh, I, I would have, again, different path of questions <laughs> to, to ask and uh, I will do my best to to ask you the questions that you um, who are listening at home uh, would like to hear. Um, I was wondering while you were while you were sharing um, different things, um, I could pursuing I could ask more about Latin America um, and AI governance, uh, but I would like to ask you more about, as you mentioned, the challenges based on based on developing these policies and developing them uh, in Latin America, um, in Mexico, in your case. How do you work with governments, partners, um, whether they are federal or local level, to to advance the policy goals and initiative?
1: So previously, we would do that through the coordination office for the National Digital Strategy. Um, okay. And they were very hands-on, very making things happen and inviting us to things, and we would invite them to another project. So it was really nice to have that motor from the government. Now that things have changed, we're left not so much with institutions willing to help us, well, help us rather, advance AI governance in Latin America. We're faced rather with change makers within government institutions who are saying, okay, well, I'm gonna take it upon me to continue kind of the, the relevance of Mexico in this conversation and continue efforts. But that's very difficult because that's one person against an agenda that does not prioritize what they want to do. So, so that that was semi present for a bit. Um, what, what we're seeing now is um, regarding governance in the area. I'm gonna make kind of a more of a meta observation and then I'll go back to the the policy prototypes that we're doing. But I think one of the questions Latin America needs to ask itself is where does it stand with regards to AI governance? Um, The region in the world with most regulation. Uh, I mean, before you even talk about AI regulation, you need to talk about proper data regulation that is updated to the reality that we're living in, you know, and not created way back when, and sort of kind of fits today's context. So the European Union approach is unsurprisingly taking a socialist approach of let's regulate, let's make sure it benefits everyone equally. The U.S. again, unsurprisingly, um, is taking an approach that's more more in line with freedom, which is I think a very good word to represent the U.S. of okay, let's compete, let's let's see what we can do, let's see how far we can take this. And while some states are regulating certain aspects, for instance, Mm. I think San Francisco and New York banned facial recognition. Mm. Um, It's not a nationwide move. And I mean, it wouldn't be given how the U.S. is structured, but still Mm -hmm. you don't see this. Obama had a few meetings um, in the White House regarding how AI could kind of be regulated at a federal level, but and then, again, the government changed, and it wasn't a priority anymore. Um, so, I think there's that question for Latin America. And I think right now, the reality, the lack of regulation, is not a reflection of having chosen the u s. path. I think it's more of a reflection of lagging behind. Um, mm-hmm. and i don't i don't, I want to say that a lot of countries haven't done this yet, so it's not like. I don't want to give this impression of Latin America that's always lagging behind. I mean, right now is the moment to do it, you know? So if you just haven't started, that's fine. But if in five years you've done nothing, maybe you should reconsider if you're just doing nothing or you're choosing the US path. And I Mm. think that Latin America could benefit from kind of the socialist approach given, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, given the inequalities here and previous regulations that do seek to kind of close that gap um in terms of inequality so first of all there's that question maybe Mm. you are not doing anything because you want to follow the U.S. model of let's see how far technology can go maybe you're waiting to see what the European Union is doing because that there's also that opportunity of leapfrogging things right and saying okay we saw what worked over there let's analyze how it could work over here and um kind of bring together the ecosystem in latin america or a specific country and bring together um i don't know this is what we did for the national ai strategy the uk for example and other countries Mm -hmm. and say what are you doing what's working okay how can we create something new and relevant to the context here Mm -hmm. so first there's that and then um i do wish that Latin America would go from a socialist approach, but uh, maybe that's just ingrained within me because I grew up in France, you know? So I don't know if this is uh, really, if, it, how, how much prejudice there is there. But yeah. um, then what we are doing when I said, you know, the fact that the government isn't really such a big leader as before here in Mexico doesn't mean nothing's happening. We're doing super exciting work that involves the government they're not leading it, but they're present. So having their mm. support means a lot in terms of uh, legitimacy of what we're doing. So we're working with Meta, the international, the Inter American Development Bank, sorry, and in Mexico, uh, the INAI, which is the Institute for Transparency, Access to Information, Data Protection. Um, and what we're doing is, so uh, focusing on a certain aspect of AI. the the need for transparency and explainability. So that means that when I'm chatting with a bot online, I should know it's an AI Mm. system. If an AI system is taking a decision that's gonna affect my health, I should know. Or if an AI system is deciding whether I get a credit or not, I should know. Why should I know? Because those are really important decisions that affect my life. And what if the AI system had a bias against women in terms of giving them credits, which has happened Mm. a lot and keeps happening. You know, then I can say, well, could a human review this decision, or why? You know, and a lot of times, if you're using AI, if you're using a black box system, which means that no one understands how it works, yeah, the answer is because the machine said it. And I don't think we're, I don't think we're ready, and I don't think we want to live in that dystopian future where the machine decided. And that's all there is to say about it. I, yeah. I mean, maybe we are going that way, but I don't think we should. Um, I'm sure everyone here would agree. So what we're doing is exploring what um, policy would look like that requires Mexican AI companies to be more transparent. This does not mean sharing their algorithm; their, their industrial secrets are safe. I just want to clarify that. But to share enough information that it's 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 you know it's their responsibility also to to inform the consumer in an ethics perspective, not a legal perspective. Um, mm. So what we're doing here is super interesting, working with um, independent experts, consultants, VIDB, like I said, the, the government, the INAI, and um, us and Meta putting together uh, kind of like a, a regulation proposal, a policy, like a, a framework, that, and then mm-hmm. testing them with companies,
2: mm-hmm.
1: accompanying them and seeing, okay, was this, was this very costly to implement? Um, what were the challenges you faced? What didn't make sense? What should we change? for it to actually be something that you could consider implementing. And our our expectation is not then to go to the ENAI and say, there you go, publish it. <laughs> no, it's rather like an input for the work they could be doing now or in the future regarding yeah. AI regulation. Mm-hmm. And we're doing something similar in Uruguay with ACHESIC and uh, URCDP, URHDP, eh, in terms of privacy enhancing technologies. So... Mm. The government is there in Mexico. Um, it's just a very different participation than we'd seen before. And I think, again, it will depend very much on the openness of the people we're in touch with to do this sort of thing and put AI first when it's not really a national priority in the agenda. Mm-hmm. That was a really long answer, but I hope it made sense.
0: Yeah, it totally made sense. And uh, it was also necessary. It uh, it showcased different... Uh, big important aspects. Um, And uh, like you said, uh, the black box models um, are polemical and um, uh, it took time. I I will just take a a short example here about YouTube. Um, And this is funny because for a long time on YouTube when we were doing ads and like when you were trying to place a product and sell it to people, you didn't have to do anything except selling it. And it took quite a time to YouTube and and the laws to to say, oh, you're trying to sell something to your audience, but you have to say that you're tr- you're doing advertising. You can't just say say sell it like that. And because because if you create um, a, a link with people and if people trust you, um, again, internet is a dangerous place. A lot of things happens. And uh, and and a lot of things happen and and not enough people know the risks and know how to navigate. It's like going on a little boat in the middle of the ocean. You will very quickly understand that you can't just be here because of because of all the waves and other things and but you will learn it the hard way. Internet, in a way, this is a weird uh, analogy that I just did, but <laughs> but uh, in yeah. a way, it could be uh, it could be compared like that. So so yeah, I'm really happy to to learn from from your answer.
1: And I mean, like you said, the boat analogy. I feel like you missed a part. Like you can learn the hard way, or you could drown before you make it there. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we could add a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot <laughs> <That> of, <works. laughs> yeah, from this. Uh, I always like to talk about the sea and the and the ocean as analogies because they have a lot of uh, concepts. That can really apply. But yeah, and in terms of uh, the black box models, yeah, sometimes it will really improve your accuracy because you will have a very great model. But what we really need in that case is understand why it is doing this. And when we're talking about ethics and we're we're talking about implementing policies, we need to know why we're doing this, taking those decisions. And um, and so it it is, I think, I feel like, and I was discussing this before um, today, I feel like most of the time we want to focus so much like for example if i want to calculate the, like the, the churn of a bank and i want to know which clients are going to to leave the bank and and the, and yeah so I, I i might do like some black box models to have a higher prediction and then do other techniques to understand but um, that being said i feel like ai is moving in a certain direction and this is kind of a statement question for you to to, to give your opinion I feel like AI is going in a certain direction. And if you're trying to build AI projects, uh, AI-powered projects and all kinds of data projects and and you want to add value, I feel like it is super relevant to understand where the policy is going because maybe you need to do things now in your project that tomorrow will be mandatory and maybe will destroy totally your project. And what do you think about uh, this uh, this specific topic of... uh, taking into account policies and potential future policies into what we're building today, which is basically what you just described with with the standards uh, and and you worked with um, governments and and big uh, companies to define protocols and ethical things. Uh, Those guidelines will uh, uh, allow you to not step into a speedfall, but I will let you uh, give your own perspective.
1: I mean, I agree with you. It would make sense to consider... Uh, standards, but also the ethics conversation, which hasn't always become standards. Um, mm. And, and you know, so some things that used to be ethics are now regulation, like privacy, and some things will become it, and some things might always stay in the realm of ethics. But, but I, I, wish the record, I wish I could tell you, like, yes, it would make sense and people are doing it. Rather, it makes sense and people are not doing it, because rightly in latin america um government priorities change so much that it does not make sense to prepare for a possible future until it's there you know it's Mm -hmm. it's something that i've learned the hard way (laughs) um with this change in administration so why why risk putting your resources into something that's not going to happen when something else might happen so i understand that but i do want to say something so First, I want to talk about just a quick parenthesis. What is AI ethics? Because I think it's often misconstrued. It's often compared to a knife. And the conversation around AI ethics can easily turn around whether it's right or not to use automated systems in warfare. You know, so like a knife, you could use it to cut bread and feed people, or you could use it to stab someone and kill them. But that is not the conversation around AI ethics that's a very that's a part of it but it is so much bigger than that because what happens mm-hmm. is AI is not a knife AI and you'll know this better than me because you're you're more of a programmer you're more on the numbers side on the programming side um, it's super complex and a lot of the times when we talk with small companies in Latin America which make up the backbone of the economy and they use AI we say are you what what like what you um, ethics guidelines are you respecting and sometimes the answer will be oh none we're just a small company like we're not doing anything wrong we just want to help with this and that's wonderful but i think there's a really deep and concerning lack of understanding that things can get out of control really fast have you heard for instance in the netherlands um there was a government that um used ai to detect fraud do you know this one
0: uh i'm not sure
1: Okay, it's bad. Um, so the, the, the system was created to detect fraud in um, welfare distributions. So okay. great, right, right? I mean, that sounds like a great application. And if it could yeah. just stay there, that would be great. But what happened was, um, the system wasn't developed uh, responsibly, for instance, if, if there was uh, missing information in one of the documents, it flagged you for fraud, if you had more than one nationality, it tagged you for fraud. So, I mean, immigrants were a lot of times victims mm. of this system. And a lot of the times the system would say, hey, you need to give us back the money that you've been receiving, the welfare support you've been receiving for the last four years. And people don't have that money if they're receiving welfare support. This led to divorces, suicides, child children being separated from their families. The government had to quit the government. Like they messed up so bad they had to quit. that's what happens you know when you're not careful these things are so insidious and this isn't to say we shouldn't use ai because i'm a firm believer in the potential of ai but i'm also a firm believer in the importance of responsible ai the importance of having a human in the loop of always checking that it's making sense that you're not affecting lives like this is this is a very bad scenario that happened and so that's where i'm going you know i think that What one of the cases that I I try to make for companies is if you use AI ethics, like if you use it rather, if you apply ethics principles, your company or your product or your service will be stronger and it'll be less likely to create a drama for you, which Mm -hmm. will end up in you in the news with the name of your company discriminating against, name the community, and you're gonna have to shut down because that happened because people will lose their trust in you. You mentioned earlier, the importance of trust um so ai ethics allows you to have a sustainable long-term solution but again in a in a region where things can change so easily how do you juggle that and i wish you know the the optimist in me says do everything you know prepare yourself make sure you're sustainable but again the the region is made up by a lot of small and medium companies do they have the resources for that so it's Mm. It's really it's it's a super interesting thing. I think that um, what needs to be done is I love this approach that the European Union is having to AI regulation. Just a sec, I'm just gonna <clears throat> testing. Okay, yeah, March Simpson is gone. <clears throat> so I love the approach that the European Union is having on this topic, which is saying, okay, let's regulate AI according to impact. And if it has a strong impact on a person's life, then we're gonna subject it to more scrutiny or it will be completely banned if it's a black box. And here I have a fun ethics question for you um, regarding black boxes. Should we ban them or not? There's this case that came up a few years ago where um, developers had created an AI system, um, completely black box, capable of detecting uh, Alzheimer's which is a disease that we have very little understanding of let alone pr- being able to predict it. And its predictions were very accurate. But of course, if you told someone, "Oh, it looks like you're going to develop Alzheimer's in the next 2 years," and you ask why, the answer would be, "I don't know. The machine said so." Which is not is not a satisfying answer, but at the same time, if there was a machine capable of predicting it with A good degree of accuracy. Wouldn't you want to know? You know. So that's um, Mm -hmm. that's where things are.
0: Very interesting dilemma. Yeah. Yeah, No. Totally. But
1: I think that at least what the European Union is doing is something, which is more than anyone else. Yeah. And banning, for example, emotion recognition technology is key. So for those of you listening who don't know emotion recognition technology. It can be used for hiring, for instance, um, where you'll be interviewing me. Well, actually, a machine will be, (laughs) an AI system will be interviewing me. And it'll say, oh, Claudia looks so nervous right now. Um, She looked like she did not know the answer to this question. But how do you know what I look like when I'm stressed? So you'll say, oh, because we trained a database with stressed faces, and then I'll say, okay, but were the stressed faces the same ethnicity as me? Were they the same gender as me? Were they in the same context as me? Does Thomas's stressed face look the same as mine? So basically giving you a job or not on the basis of emotion recognition is complete fraud. (laughs) And those are the things that I agree should be banned. I mean, let's keep you know exploring them in academic circles, but I don't think they're ready to be in the mainstream. And I think facial recognition as a whole is not ready. I mean, this kind of technology, they'll tell you, oh yeah, it has an 80% accuracy. Okay, sure, that means it has, let's say 95% for white men, but what about black women? Because last time I checked, there was a system who flagged a black woman as a gorilla. I mean, of a lot, there's been a lot of cases in the news or a few, I don't know if I should say a lot of a black person being arrested because they were at a crime scene. And who said they were at a crime scene? The facial recognition system in the surveillance camera, but it wasn't them because these machines aren't trained to work, aren't trained yet. I'm going to say to work well on diverse populations and reality is not all white men, it's very diverse. So, uh, you know, these things bother me how we're so ready to adopt a technology that isn't truly mm. ready. It's not mature at all. It's going to create more, more of a mess than of anything else. So I'm glad that you, you is doing something. And um, I don't know, Thomas, uh, if, you, if I can give one uh, piece of insight that I think is missing from the regulation or if you want to change topics, you tell me.
0: Yes, please, please give us give, give okay. insights.
1: So again, I'm a huge fan of what the European Union is doing. I think it makes a lot of sense. Like I said, imagine a triangle. The top use cases are the ones that are, have a, a high likelihood of impact on people. So mm-hmm. you're more scrutiny. Basically, you're gonna have to provide more evidence that your system is oh, safe. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: one of, first of all, the questions there is, what does it mean that it's safe? And what does impact on a person's life mean, you know? So, I, and I think that it's very clear that that's one of the gray areas of the regulation that needs to be worked on. And I think the way we need to see this regulation is a first step that hopefully can be edited afterwards and you know, molded to the reality and to the, the learnings that we get from its application. But one of the things that I've been thinking about is it focuses on harm to individuals.
0: Mm-hmm. What
1: it does not focus on is harm to community which in turn will harm individuals in that community. So let me give you an example. Say, um, I'll give you two. (laughs) Say Netflix, for some reason, the algorithm decides to change and no longer recommends uh, movies um, written or directed by women. So what's gonna happen there? In the medium and long-term, there will be no, no one will be looking for women in this in the cinema industry. No one will be looking for women directors, authors, because there's no market for it because Netflix won't recommend it. So in the yeah. long term, you are affecting the livelihood of women who currently depend on that and, yeah. the, and basically the diversity of, of what we're watching. And I think that is not a low impact because Netflix would actually, under the current classification, Netflix would be relatively low impact because, I mean... If it recommends the wrong movie, so what? <laughs> You'll just watch another one. It's no big deal. You lost 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the points. And then this is, I won't name the the company that we suspect this happened in because it's our suspicion and it's not out there. Um, but there's this big um, retailer um, that was in the news recently because they had separated... Um, hair products, hair products for Afro-Americans from hair products for white people. So the ones for Afro-Americans were in a locked box and you had to go get someone, you know, to open it for you, to give you your product. That is complete discrimination. I mean, it's, it's how, how did we, like, how did that happen? How was there no person who said, whoa, this is gonna look very bad um, and this is wrong. <laughs> So our suspicion, we know this this retailer uses artificial intelligence systems to recommend how to better protect their products against theft. So our suspicion is what happened was that these products were being stolen more than the rest because of historic inequity (laughs) in the United States. Um, And what might've happened is that it said, okay, these products are being stolen quite a lot, so let's lock them up. Is that low impact? You know, is that right? Where was there? I mean, was there a person who said, this the person in charge of separating the products, did they say something? Did they report it? How much room was there for a human in the loop or on the loop? Uh, how much was it just complete automation and blind trust in the machine? But that's not low impact at all. I mean, the company mm-hmm. was in the, all over the news. Um, there were protests. You know, it's complete segregation. How is that low impact? So I'm really curious to see, and actually next week I'll be in a UN conference on things to consider, you know, mm-hmm. regarding this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm, I'm not upset that it's not considered in the current version because then, then what happens? Then is everything high impact? And then what do we do? And then is everything really scrutinized? And my answer is, well, should it not be? if it can really affect your life, should it not be highly scrutinized? Mm -hmm. But then if you make it really complicated like that to to have an AI company, then maybe AI companies will go develop, like if the European Union decides to strengthen this regulation, maybe companies will move elsewhere. And the European Union in terms of economic competitiveness will not be as strong as other countries. But what matters Mm -hmm. more, social impact, Mm -hmm. economic competitiveness, you know, it's it's it just goes back to that dilemma, but I think it's really interesting, and I'm interesting to see also different perspectives about what could be added and how this conversation is integrated into the proposal because it's not it's not out yet; it's still being reviewed and, and edited. So, so yeah. that's that's um, an, um, like progress that I'm really excited about and very curious about, also very critical about. Mm.
0: Wow. So many so many details. I love the two examples i th- I feel like it really showcase uh, what we are describing and what we're discussing and uh, I'm super happy to 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 hear all of that um, I would like to ask you many more things, but um we're running out of time and it is the end of the episode, so so I will maybe ask one more question before asking you about how people can reach out, know more about you, and yeah. if you would have a, a specific message for the Let's Talk AI community. Um, so th- the first question before that should be, um, would you have advice um, to give to like for people who want to do uh, policy, like policy entrepreneurs, um, people interested in, te- in technology, in AI, um, promoting social impact, sustainability. Would you have some advice uh, for those people uh, who might look into this path?
1: Yeah, do it, do it. There's not enough of us, especially in Latin America. I mean, in the U.S., the main problem for this type of organization to exist without yeah. falling into being consultants and then being kind of led by the agenda of whoever our yeah. clients are, which is not at all what we do, um, is funding. How do you get funding? So you know you have to be very proactive about it. Um, luckily, we've we found amazing partners who are, who've been working with us for years. Um, but in Latin America, it's very hard. That being said, do it just be aware of the challenges but this is super important. This is defining our future, how much it will be a dystopic, you know, reality or, or will it continue being led by humans? Where will we be autonomous? Will we decide mm-hmm. about our future? Or will our future be decided for us? You know, and that, that actually mm-hmm. was the topic of my Ted talk focused on privacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Get into it, and in the U.S., here in the U.S., oh my goodness, definitely get into it. There's a lot of funding where you don't need to operate on a project by project basis because mm-hmm. the government, a lot of organizations are willing to fund this. in In the European Union, I don't know how that works. I don't know how it works in other places, but we're doing it in a really difficult place, and mm-hmm. we're managing so. If this is really your passion, do it. Of course, there's more safe spaces to do it. Like within a big organization, the Inter-American Development Bank um, has an area dedicated to AI. Um, the Organization of American States is starting. So, you know, there's there's a lot of different ways to get into this. And again, you don't have to be a technical person. You can be a philosopher, you can be a linguist, you can be a business major, you can be a language major, international relations, communications. I'm trying to think of the people we've had on the team anything, really, anything applies. Um, Mm -hmm. You don't have to know anything about technology. Um, I mean, you know, you can learn, is my point. You will eventually have to know. Um, But I think it's important to do this. And, you know, one of the things, since we're both French Thomas, one of the things that surprised me is there is no such organization in France. Um, There's one that's kind of like an association where they give talks um, that I met recently, but there isn't. And how is it that there is not, you know, in a country that cares so much about uh, yeah. democracy, about freedom, equality, fraternity. <laughs> how is there not something like that? I think that people don't yet see the importance that these spaces are taking. Um, and I know that, I know in events, you know, they always, more and more they're including the ethics conversation, especially since Chat GPT came out and made all these waves we're being interviewed all over the place and we love it um but what we have to say isn't new you know i i hope that also spaces like like let's talk ai thank you so much for having us today so that i can talk about what c doing and our vision and why this is important you know so hmm. i think it a lot of work needs to be done but but just if you're interested in this just remember there is space it's not hmm. maybe as easy as another job could be to to find but there is there is um, room for critical reflection. I think, I think it's funny. I always say to my, like, you know, if you studied philosophy, your parents probably cried at that moment. But now, you know, maybe you can work in Google. So, so it's a good time to be a philosopher. And yeah. um, I know you're going to ask me next, like, how can people learn more about this and follow this? So yeah. um, you can follow CMinds on social media. It's CMinds underscore CO on Facebook, it's C Minds Impact. C Minds like the letter C, Minds like your mind. Um, And and there's a lot of other organizations that are amazing. Um, You know, Future of Life Institute always has really interesting things. Um, Subscribe to the Wired newsletter, the MIT Technology Review um, newsletter as well. There's always fascinating information on there. I have not been super active on LinkedIn lately, but I'll usually post some stuff. You can find me, Claudia May Del Pozo, and um, completely nothing to do with work. This is more my own little thing. Um, I have a TikTok channel in Spanish, trying to kind of um, communicate all of the challenges that we've talked about and different things to a Spanish audience, because most of these channels are in English. And I think that that's great, but we need other languages and that's Cloud Tech like tech, like technology, cloud, like Claudia. So feel free to follow. I try to post as much as I can. Um, and yeah, just be a lot more critical about what you take for a given, you know, and what might be behind it. And I'm not, I don't want to go into the whole, where of the product? Because the product, if this is free, we're the product, we're not. Stop that conversation. We're creating creating—we're creating the, the, the material for the product, we're not the product. Um, I think that's a hilarious conversation. We can have another time, Toma, but but yeah. And and there's a lot of interesting books. I'd say also try to hear from a diverse perspective, Um, not only white men. um, There's a lot of people writing about this. And if you get into this world, follow us. See who we repost, retweet, follow them. And it is fascinating.
0: Wow. You've heard it. You already shared the career path and career growth. Mm -hmm. Uh, so many great, uh, so many great tips. I want to thank you so much, Claudia, for coming on the podcast. Um, it really opened my eyes on certain topics, and I work myself in AI, and I feel like those discussions should be more showcased, more often, more everywhere. Um, but uh, so, thank you so much. I will put all the links and recommendations in the in the description. So feel free to reach out, and if you're still with us um, here in the podcast. Uh, uh, well, I want to share the appreciation that we have for the feedback of the podcast and, and the questions that we receive. Claudia, maybe would you have a, a last message for the latest AI community? It can be personal, professional.
1: Yeah. So my recommendation was would be stay curious, um, keep looking these things up. These things are changing all the time. Um, for instance, you know what does ChatGPT mean for the proposed AI Act in the European Union? Um, mm. Everything is always changing, and there's always fascinating articles about it. Read it, chat about it with your friends. It's always like a super interesting conversation. Also, you'll see very many different perspectives. I was talking with a German friend recently, and of course, in Germany, there's a even bigger focus on privacy than there is in France. So, you know, talking to to just different people or Americans mm-hmm. about their view on things or mm-hmm. people who believe privacy is dead anyway. Yeah. It's just really in- interesting to be informed. And I don't think this is as technological a topic people think it is. It's a your life question. You know, it's it's yeah. in your life. It's something you should think about as much as you're thinking, oh, how do I make ratatouille? Or <laughs> Maybe you don't think about that often, but it's something that you should be thinking about because it affects you directly. And if you are in a company that provides AI services or if you lead it, you should definitely be asking these questions. And
2: hmm.
1: who do you get to ask great questions? Someone from humanities, not someone from the tech department. So,
2: hmm.
1: you know, try to hire more broadly. Maybe if if you get someone who is not a white man, we'll have more perspective on who could be, how this could be biased. Um, so hire women, hire women from humanities um, and have them ask you tough questions and don't shy away because these tough questions will only make your system much better.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's a perfect uh, way to, to end this episode. I want to thank you so much for all the value, all the sharing of your knowledge and sharing about your minds and, and your personal visions. Thanks a lot, Claudia, and I wish you the best. And I look forward to speak with you again uh, on other topics.
1: Thanks, Thomas. We'll definitely be in touch. And I look forward to um, to listening to the final edits of this, and also the upcoming episodes with amazing people.
0: Awesome! Thanks. Congrats, you've made it to the end. I hope you had a great time and that you learned a few things. To learn more about AI, you can subscribe to my newsletter or check the blog. And to support the podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also share it with two friends, colleagues or family members that might be interested. I wish you to have a wonderful day. Bye.